guys again. Um, and I do come from Big Valley Grace Community Church in Modesto. I'm the executive pastor there. And uh, our church has uh, been praying for this entire region. Um, and uh, it's interesting how the, the body of Christ, when, when something happens, right, we all want to pitch in. And uh, there's just a lot of people in Modesto that uh, have, uh, especially as hearing even as some of you are beginning to rebuild, um, real physically speaking, real tangibly speaking, uh, I know that some of you are here about to build uh, your homes back here real soon. And so we'll continue to be in prayer for you guys. And uh, I will tell you this, though, um, when my wife and I have a chance to, to go somewhere, uh, of course, we look at the weather. And uh, when you're from Modesto, California, you look forward to anywhere you go is going to be cooler. And so we looked at the weather in Modesto, and yesterday it was going to be a hundred and something degrees, and we thought, man, it's a good thing we're going <laughs> to this beautiful area. And um, we brought the weather with us, so, uh, so you're welcome, and uh, fortunately we'll be leaving, fortunately for you. So uh, you guys can go back to your beautiful weather, and uh, it's going to continue to be a hundred something for about, well, two months, so... Um, come visit. <laughs> um, as I prepared for um, this message, obviously uh, this is a, a really special week in the life of our, our country. And we're days away from celebrating 4th of July. And um, I did not know this, but uh, yesterday I uh, met some Canadians who today is a big day. And I recognize some of you here uh, are celebrating Canada Day. And uh, so it just seems appropriate that, um, that this week, maybe we just take a moment and consider um, what that, that word freedom means. And freedom from what? And that's the title of my message this morning. On January 6th, uh, 1941, President Franklin D. Roosevelt he addressed Congress on the state of the war in Europe. And at the close of his address, he said that he looked forward to, and this is in quotes, to a world founded upon four essential freedoms. And he named them freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. What's interesting is Romans 8, which will be our text this morning, Romans 8 represents the Apostle Paul's declaration of freedom for the follower of Jesus Christ. And we're going to take some time to read uh, through Romans 8. We're not going to read the entire chapter, but we are going to read 27 verses of it. And that's a lot. But one of the things that uh, I hope you would do this morning is as I'm reading through Romans 8, that you would look and listen for the freedoms in Christ that we have that Paul is talking about. I also want you to enjoy the fact that anytime we read scripture, that we know that we are hearing from the voice of the Lord. 
So let me, uh, let, let me read, and you can follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screens. Romans 8, starting with verse 1. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. With him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we acknowledge your presence here with us. And I just give thanks for your word, your precious word. That we don't ever have to wonder whether we heard from your voice when we pick up the word of God and we read it. And I just pray that today as we just look a little deeper into Romans 8, Father, that you would teach one of us, every one of us about what some of these freedoms are that we have and what we ought to do with those freedoms. Father, I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, now that we read that passage and I shared with you that we're going to look at some freedoms, I want to make a statement that kind of sums up uh, the, the point of this message this morning, and it's this. For those that are true followers of Jesus Christ... We must identify which freedoms come with a relationship with Jesus and choose to live a life that reflects those freedoms. In other words, it's important that we know what we're free from and then we live that way. And so this morning, I'm gonna share with you three freedoms that, that come from this passage. And I'm sure there's more, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna highlight three this morning and kind of take this passage one section at a time. And freedom number one, if you're taking notes, freedom number one is freedom from judgment. In other words, no condemnation. This comes from verses one through four, but I'm gonna highlight verse one that says very simply, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's really good news. If you go back to Genesis, ever since man's original sin, we were condemned. But in Christ, there is no condemnation. Now, this verse does not say that we don't make mistakes or that there are no failures or even no sins. Christians do fail and make mistakes. They do sin. Abraham lied about his wife. David committed adultery. Everyone in here, you and I, we have each made mistakes. We've failed. We've sinned. And we've all experienced consequences because of those sins. But we do not suffer condemnation. You see, the law condemns. But the believer has a new relationship to the law and therefore cannot be condemned. Paul made three statements about the believer and the law. And in these four verses, first four verses of chapter eight, and together they add up to the phrase, no condemnation. And I wanna take a look at those three statements. Statement number one, the law cannot claim you. Verse two says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You have been made free from the law of sin and death. You now have life in the spirit. 
you have moved into a whole new sphere of life in Christ. The law of sin and death is what Paul described in Romans 7, but the law of the spirit of life is what Paul describes in Romans 8. The law no longer has any jurisdiction over you. You are free from it. Statement two, the law cannot condemn you. Looking at verse three, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Why can't the law condemn you? Because Christ has already suffered that condemnation for you and for me on the cross. The law could not save, it could only condemn, but God sent his son to save us and do what the law could not do. Jesus did not come as an angel, he came as a man. He did not come in sinful flesh, for that would have made him a sinner. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh as a man. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. And statement number three, the law cannot control you. Verse four says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, the believer lives a righteous life, not in the power of the law, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. The law does not have the power to produce holiness. It can only reveal and condemn sin. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit enables you to walk in obedience to God's will. The righteousness that God's God demands in his law is fulfilled in you through the Spirit's power. So a question for you this morning. For those of you, maybe there's one, maybe there's many. For those of you that have not yet made a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, do you realize here this morning that you are not free from the Lord's judgment and condemnation? And to those who are followers of Jesus, do you live a life that reflects this freedom from condemnation? For those that are true followers of Jesus Christ, we must identify which freedoms come with a relationship with Jesus Christ and choose to live a life that reflects those freedoms. So freedom number one, judgment. Freedom from judgment, no condemnation. Freedom number two, freedom from defeat, no obligation. Verse 12, this comes from verses five through 17, but I'm gonna highlight verse 12 that says this. So then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. There is no obligation to the old nature. The believer can live in victory. In this section of Romans 8, Paul describes life on three different levels, and then he encourages his readers to live on the highest level. And I want to take a moment to go through those three levels today. Life level number one, you have not the spirit. 
verses five through eight. Here, Paul is not describing two kinds of Christians, one carnal and one spiritual. He's contrasting the saved and the unsaved. And there are four contrasts between the saved and the unsaved. Contrast number one, in the flesh versus in the spirit. Verse five says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. The unsaved person does not have the spirit of God, according to verse nine. He lives in the flesh and for the flesh. His mind is centered on the things that satisfy the flesh. But the Christian has the spirit of God within and lives in an entirely new and different sphere. His mind is fixed on the things of the spirit. This does not mean that the unsaved person never does anything good or that the believer never does anything bad. It means the bent of their lives is different. One lives for the flesh, the other lives for the spirit. Contrast number two, death versus life. We look at verse six for this. For to set the mind on the flesh is dead, death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. See, the unsaved person is alive physically, but dead spiritually. The inner man is dead toward God and does not respond to the things of the spirit. He may be moral and even religious, but he lacks spiritual life. He needs the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Again, we see that in verse two. In contrast, number three, war with God versus peace with God. Verses six and seven, for to set the mind on the flesh is dead, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. In Romans 7, the chapter before this, we saw that the old nature rebels against God and will not submit to God's law. Romans 5.1 says that those who have trusted Christ enjoy peace with God, while the unsaved are at war with God. Isaiah 48.22 says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. In contrast, number four, pleasing self versus pleasing God. Verse eight says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. To be in the flesh means to be lost outside of Christ. The unsaved person lives to please himself and rarely thinks about pleasing God. The root of sin is selfishness. I will and not thy will. To be in the flesh means to be lost outside of Christ. The unsaved person lives to please himself and rarely thinks about pleasing God. To be unsaved and not have the spirit is the lowest level of life. But a person need not stay on that level. By faith in Christ, he can move on to the second level. And life level, level number two is you have the spirit. Verses nine through 11, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The evidence of conversion is the presence of the Holy Spirit within. Witnessing that you are a child of God 
verse 16. Your body becomes the very temple of the Holy Spirit. We see that in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Even though the body is destined to die because of sin, unless the Lord returns first, amen? The Spirit gives life to that body today so that we may serve God. But there is a third level of life for which the other two are proper uh, preparation. Life level number three, the Spirit has you. Verses 12 through 17. We should not settle on the fact that we have the Spirit. We should desire that the Spirit has us. Only then can he share with the abundant, victorious life that can be ours in Christ. We have no obligation to the flesh because the flesh has only brought trouble into our lives. We do have an obligation to the Holy Spirit for it is the Spirit who convicted us, revealed Christ to us, and he can enable us to be more like Christ. But scripture tells us he is also the spirit of death. He can enable us to put to death the sinful deeds of the body. And he reproduces in us the things of the spirit. The Holy Spirit is also the spirit of adoption. The moment you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, God adopts you as his child. The Bible says you now have full rights to receive an inheritance. You and I are one of his beneficiaries. You are a co-heir with Christ. Just let that sink in for a minute. There is no need for the believer to be defeated. You can yield your body to the spirit and by faith overcome the old nature. The spirit of life will empower you. So a question for you this morning. For those that have not yet made a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, do you realize that you are not free from defeat and obligation? And to those who are followers of Jesus, do you live a life that reflects this freedom from defeat and obligation? For those that are true followers of Jesus Christ, we must identify which freedoms come with a relationship with Jesus and choose to live a life that reflects those freedoms. Freedom number one was freedom from judgment, meaning no condemnation. Freedom number two is freedom from defeat, meaning no obligation. And freedom, from no, freedom number three, Freedom from discouragement. No frustration. Verses 18 through 27 highlight this section. Paul deals with the very real problem of suffering and pain. Perhaps the best way to understand this section is to note the three groans that are discussed. So I'm going to go through those. Groan number one, creation groans. Verses 18 through 22. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, 
in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. See, when God finished his creation, it was a good creation. But today, it is a groaning creation. There is suffering and death. There is pain, all of which, of course, the result of Adam's sin. It is not the fault of creation. Note the word of Paul used to describe the plight of creation. Suffering, in verse 18. Vanity, verse 20. Bondage, verse 21. Decay, verse 21. And pain, verse 22. However, the groaning is not a useless thing. Paul compares it to a woman in labor. There is pain, but the pain will end when the child is delivered. One day, creation will be delivered. And the groaning creation will become a glorious creation. And as believers, we should not focus on today's sufferings. We should look forward to tomorrow's glory. Groan number two, believers groan. Verse 23 through 25, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, We wait for it with patience. The reason we groan is because we have experienced the first fruits of the Spirit, a foretaste of the glory to come. We have tasted the blessings of heaven through the ministry of the Spirit. And this makes us want to see the Lord receive a new body and live in Him and serve Him forever. We are waiting for the adoption, which is the redemption of the body, When Christ returns, when Christ returns, we shall enter into the full inheritance. Meanwhile, we wait and we hope, for we are saved by that hope, we see in verse 24. What hope? In Titus 2, it says, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Groan number three. The Holy Spirit also groans. Verses 25 through 27. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God is concerned about the trials of his people. When he was ministering on earth, Jesus groaned when he saw that sin, what sin was doing to mankind. Today, the Holy Spirit groans with us and feels the burdens of our weaknesses and sufferings. But the Spirit does more than groan. 
He prays for us in his groaning so that we might be led into the will of God. We do not always know God's will. We do not always know how to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us so that we might live in the will of God in spite of the suffering. The Spirit shares the burden. So a question for you. For those that have not yet made a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, do you realize that you are not free from discouragement and frustration? And to those who are followers of Jesus, do you live a life that reflects this freedom from discouragement and frustration? For those that are true followers of Jesus Christ, we must identify which freedoms come with a relationship with Jesus and choose to live a life that reflects those freedoms. So something I want you to do for me right now. I want you to imagine right now one area that you are not experiencing freedom from. Maybe there's many, but just focus on one right now. Maybe it's an area that you were feeling condemned or judged. Maybe it's an area that you were feeling defeated or obligated. Maybe it's an area that you were feeling discouraged in or frustrated. And I want you to do this with me. Take that one thing and, and just right where you're seated, just, just put them in your fist. Close your fist for a minute. I want you to just imagine that area that you are not experiencing freedom from. This closed fist, it represents an area of life that you don't have freedom from. You're not experiencing freedom from right now. Not because you're not free, because you're choosing not to experience that freedom. Maybe it's a health concern. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe one of your kids has gone sideways. Maybe one of your parents have gone sideways. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe you're single and desperately wanting to get married. Maybe you're dealing with anxiety or depression. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's just a big decision in regards to your future that you're just wrestling through right now. I'm here to give you the solution this morning. The solution is to surrender. Okay, that may seem kind of ironic for a little bit, that victory can only come from surrender. That goes against everything we understand, maybe as we even look forward to a 4th of July. Victory didn't come from surrender as it relates to winning freedoms in our country. But when it comes to victory over the freedoms in the areas that we're struggling with, victory only comes from surrender to Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that you are currently being held in bondage to, Today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can experience freedom. And I want to ask you, what message does it send to the unsaved world when followers of Jesus Christ live lives that reflect the freedoms they have in Jesus Christ? How you live your life will always be your greatest witness to a lost and broken world. 
and how we go through life should look different as believers. Don't forget the rest of the world is watching you. And if you are experiencing the same lack of freedom as them, what are they, what incentive, what's attractive about the Christian walk when our lives don't look different? Maybe this morning you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus. And I just want to make sure you know you are not free at all. But today can be a day if you want to invite God to take control of your life. Today can be a day of surrender. And if that's you, I invite you to meet with one of the spiritual leaders after this service at this wonderful church. Just a moment, I'm gonna have a a quick video looking a little bit more about the freedoms that we have, the word of God tells us we have, and there's gonna be a a song, and I'm just gonna be up here too. I sure love to meet you. If there's something I can be praying for you about this morning. But let me close with this. May the people of the Rock Church be known as a people that truly reflect these freedoms that we looked at today in Romans 8. It should make you stand out, as I said before, from the rest of the world and give you opportunities to share with others the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And as this week we celebrate the freedoms we have as Americans or Canadians, Let us not forget to remember and be thankful to Jesus Christ who paid the ultimate price that we could have even greater freedoms in him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the freedoms that you have given us. And though even though we are free from condemnation, we are free from discouragement. We are free from doubt. We are free from frustration. Father, it's it's difficult to live a life like that. As we took a moment this morning, Father, you know what that thing is that we were holding tight in our fist. And I just pray right now for each person as they evaluate what that area is, that today would be a day of surrender. That we would be willing to open our hands, surrender that to you, and that we would experience the freedom that you have given us. Father, we recognize that the only reason this freedom exists is because your son, Jesus Christ, died on a cross. He paid the price. And we give thanks for the Holy Spirit that lives within us, the helper. Father, I pray if there's even one in this room this morning that has not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, I just pray that today would be the best day of their life, the day that they surrendered and gave their life to you. You make it so easy. You invite us in. You say, if we just surrender, that you will save us.
that we can live in eternity with you. And Father, would you help us each to understand that as we look forward to the day that you return, we've got work to do while we're here. You wanna use us to share the message and the hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would we do that? Would we do it as we read your word daily? Would we do it as we live our lives that would really reflect the freedoms that we have in you? Father, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the ministry that you were doing in this community. Thankful for the work that you're doing in these people and through these people. Pray just a special blessing on Pastor Ross right now. Would you give him great encouragement today? Would you help him to experience that freedom? I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.